button thing. And there we go. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so again, <laughs> hey, if you're joining us online, welcome. All right, so what is something that you so, so closely associate with something else? They go hand in hand. Uh, you kind of almost can't separate them. One time, my wife Christy and I, we went to Subway, and we go to order our sandwiches, and chicken bacon ranch, that's where it's at. And um, so I'm like, hey, yeah, I'll take that. And then the lady, the person back there says this, oh, I'm sorry, we're out of bread. You can order a lettuce wrap or a pizza. Wait a minute, what? I'm sorry, can you just, I don't, I don't know if I caught what you said. Can you just, oh, you're, wait, what, you're, what are you out of? Oh, we're out of bread. So we can't make any subs. But you're Subway. <laughs> like you... Your subway, you do, you you know the way of subs, like that's what you do. Look at your name tag. Your your name tag says sandwich artist, not lettuce wrap concierge. Like what? No, it's that way. What do you mean? You why are you open right now if you don't have the the bread to make the subs? Being subway, um, you know, it was, it was just kind of shocking. Subs are their things. And so think of some other places that you so closely associate. Hey, this, this goes with that. They go hand in hand. That is their thing. So I'm going to name a place, and you just kind of say like, oh, yep, that's, that's who they are. That's what they do. That's their thing. Chipotle. Burritos, right? Even if you don't get a burrito. If you're like, you know what, I like the bowl. You still think burritos. Domino's. Pizza. Right? Chick-fil-A. Chicken sandwiches. McDonald's. Nope, I, li I like it how there's one person, but the rest of you are like, huh. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not actually sure what I think of. It's probably like mediocrity, right? That's what the M's for, right? You're like, well, I don't know. It's not bad, but it's just a bunch of, of nothing food. It's a, yeah, um, Adidas. Shoes, right? Leadership. Shit. <laughs> Wrong answer. Or even, like, let's put it more specifically, church leadership. Well, what is it you're like, yes, hey, that should go with that. Church leadership should totally go with this. And I think it, for most of us, when we think of, of maybe a pastor or an elder or church leadership, we think, oh, good preaching, good communicator. Maybe, maybe they need to be, really be a good manager or a person that has vision. If you look out there in, in just kind of the world out there for, for what is it that they are providing pastors and elders and church leadership with, most of it is this, how can you grow your church? How can you, how can you identify factors that are hindering growth and then overcome those factors? Or I'd say the, the other main one is this, is how can you make Sunday morning a better event? Every single week. And how can you do, it's all these how-tos. How can you do small groups better? How can you do vision casting better? Administration, how do you preach? And a lot of those tools are, can be really helpful. But in all of this, have we missed it? Are we looking for the wrong things, the main things? And are we just like Subway that says, hey, no subs, you could have a lettuce wrap. And so today we're going to be looking at what, what does God highly value? 
What does God so closely want to associate with leaders in the church that, that you kind of really can't separate them and, and looks for in the leaders of the church? And so, and this, what God values should be shaping what we expect in church leaders, but also if you're like, hey, I'm not a church leader, I'm not an elder, I'm not a pastor, whatever. Here, here's what you might be thinking today, like, okay, cool, I could just kind of check out today, and then hopefully Ricky will make a joke later on, and I'll kind of chime in. But here, here's, as we're going through this, I want you to be thinking of this. What do people also closely associate with you? If people, because, yeah, church leaders, you'd be like, hey, the, the, the church is maybe kind of following them or whatever, but there are people in your life that you're impacting that you're an example to, that are following you. Maybe it's your friends, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your neighbors, maybe it's your family. And so, while we go through this, ask yourself this question. If people were to follow me, where would I lead them to? If somebody was going to follow me, where would they end up? Where am I taking them? So, if you got a Bible, open up to Titus. It is pretty far to the back. So... 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Titus chapter 1. And then this is what it says in verse 5. It says, this is Paul writing, and he says, The reason that I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. So Paul's gone there. He's gone to the island of Crete, made disciples, preached the gospel. Hey, we were doing some good work. For whatever reason, Paul's called away. And he's like, hey, we didn't, we didn't finish everything that we set out to do. And he's telling Titus, his boy, hey, I have something else for you to do so that we could finish what we want to do there. And so then he says, hey, go do that. Set right what was left undone. As, and, and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. And so Paul, he's wanting to see more and more people come to know Christ. He's wanting to see more disciples being made. More of a community coming together. People loving one another. Living in gospel community. Exercising their gifts to build one another up. And for this to continue to happen there in, in these different towns on the island of Crete, he's like, hey, man, we need leadership. We need leadership. And so that's just kind of the first point, first thing that we see is there's a need for leadership. There's a need for elders. Because if you have a movement going... A couple things could kill it. It could be bad leadership or it could be no leadership. And Paul's like, hey, if we don't have any good godly leadership here, this is just going to not go super great. And you see later on in verses 10 through 16, there's a lot of these false teachers going around. A lot of other people uh, saying some things that, and teaching things that, that aren't right, that aren't according to the gospel. The island of Crete, they, they were... Was the supposed birthplace of the Greek god Zeus, and also the, the Minotaur, the like half bull, half, half man thing. And so there's a lot of this pagan worship going on, and that's kind of blending into, very, the, into the teaching and into the church. And, and Paul's like, hey, we need people there to, to help set direction, but also to make sure that they're protecting the teaching, protecting the, the purity of the gospel and what's being taught. And so there's this need for this leadership. And Paul mentions, there's actually, this is such a big deal that Paul addresses this four times in the New Testament of, hey, you need to appoint elder, elders. And that's usually the word that he uses is elders, but uh, later on it says overseer or, um, you know, pastor. It's just kind of really like a pastor elder. But, 
But I want you to notice this. There's where he says this. In ver- again, in verse 5, he says, appoint, you know, as I directed you to appoint elders, plural, multiple, not singular. I want you to appoint this, this plurality, a team of people to help lead the church. And in our culture here today, here's the danger that we have. Is many times we think that the church is really about one. One pastor. One elder. And we kind of have this great holy man mentality. Maybe we blame everything on that person. You know what, man? You know why everything stinks around here is because of the pastor. He's just not that great. I don't like his sermons. That's why things aren't getting done. Or we think they are so amazing. And we put them up on this pedestal. They have all the answers. Oh my gosh. And we just pick and choose whichever church we go to. Why? Because of that one person. And we like their preaching. And they could kind of do no wrong. And with, with this is the church is not ultimately following its lead pastor or its elders. We already have a great holy man. His name is Jesus. He's the one that we're following. This, this, is, this is not like my church or me and Alex's church. It's his church. Right? It's, it's Jesus. He's the one that we're looking. Sure, we, we want to respect leadership and elders, but don't put leaders on a place where they don't belong. We come here to lift up the name of Jesus. Second thing is, is that when, when Paul says that there's elders and that there needs to be a plurality of this, just kind of on a practical level, elders are not CEOs. We're not here to just make budgets try to raise funds, build bigger buildings, or anything like that. We're, 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 we're not presidents of a company. Uh, and as a church plant right now, right now just to let you guys know, we're in the process of moving uh, to, to actually to an elder board. Um, and I'm super excited. This great, godly guys. Love these guys. Eric Knoll, um, Alex and myself, Jason Banks, Jimmy Pelton, Dakota Kilzer. And so we'll, we'll uh, affirm elders at our membership meeting next month. And, but here's a question for you in this. Okay, so with that elder board, who has the final say? Who, who's kind of like, okay, hey, there's this, this group of six elders that we're going to have. Who's the top elder, though? Who's like El Capitan elder? No one. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it's not like I'm in, I am the top elder at the elder team. I don't, I don't come in there and just merely get advice or, or, you know, that's not what Alex and I do. We don't, we don't want yes men. We don't want just people that are good at business. This again, it's not a board of a company. We're not here to serve someone's ego. We're not make, here to make sure that people fall in line. What we, we want to do is like we want to hold each other accountable to, to God, to, to what He's called us to be as followers of Jesus. And then we want to serve you, the church, serve the community, to help the church flourish. And, and that's what, what Paul here is doing here. He's writing here to Titus. Hey, set these leaders so that they can help the church, so that they can help the church thrive and flourish. And, and so that, they, that their belief is actually matching 
What, what they're living out, that their behavior matches their belief, helps them to live in godliness. And, and for us to continue to make Jesus-centered disciples, it needs Jesus-centered leadership. And that's what he gets to next is what, hey, there's this need for leaders, so what kind of leadership? Look at verse 6. So he gives us, hey, here's the qualifications, here's the description of what an, that leadership an elder must look like. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught. And so right here, we just see the character of elders. We see the character of of leadership. Now, let me just kind of address a possible elephant in the room. Is some of you might be looking at this and be like, okay, well, it seems that elders, this these guys are supposed to be men. Can women be elders? It seems like no. So what's up with that? And that might seem kind of weird. So before I dive into this, this you know, briefly, is this. I'm probably not going to say something completely perfect right here. I will do my best, but you know, if, if, if you're like, hey, wait a minute, what was that? Hey, what about this? And you have questions about this, just come talk to us. We'd love to just have a conversation in this uh, if you have any questions or concerns. But here's just some things to, to know as we go through this. And as Paul says, hey, the elders in the church, they need to be men, and these men need to look like this. So um, what does that mean for women? First off, women are full members of the covenant community. Okay? They're full members. We see in Scripture that there are women deacons in 1 Timothy, Romans 16. Um, this meant that they were ministry leaders. They were initiating, supervising ministries. Tabitha in Acts 9, she was a leader of a mercy ministry to the poor. Um, while, uh, I can't say her name, Uodia and Syndike in Philippians 4, they were... Um, Paul's evangelistic associates, they're helping him spread the gospel. Priscilla, she instructed Apollos uh, in the truth and helped a house church. That's in um, Acts 18 and Romans 16. All, all ministry gifts, all spiritual gifts that are given to men are also given to women. There's no distinction there. That, oh, like, hey, these are the, the, the cool, better gifts that, are that hey, if you're a man, you can maybe have access to, and women, you don't. No, they're all given uh, to both men and women. And just to make sure, in no way in this passage is this saying anything like, oh, hey, women can't be a leader of a company or, or president or CEO or anything like that. We don't want to draw any limits that Scripture itself doesn't draw. And yet we kind of see this, this limit. Each time Paul describes elders, he, he gives that responsibility to the men as the ones that are ultimately overseeing the church and doing the authoritative teaching. And, um, and I know maybe that like doesn't, maybe that hits some people like, oh, okay, cool, great. Or some people that might hit a little bit weird. But I want to try to be as clear as possible. I mean, one thing, first we confuse leadership or, or, or an elder with higher status or higher position. Being an elder is about responsibility, not status. This does not mean that that Elders or pastors uh, have a higher status than, than any of you or, or, or than women, for sure. Um, if anything, I would say that Scripture actually points us to the opposite. 
elders are here to not serve themselves, not serve our agenda, but to serve Jesus and the church. So if you're like, oh, hey, what is an elder here for? You should have some sort of expectation. It's like, well, hey, they're here to serve us, to help us flourish, to help us know Christ more, to point us to truth. We, we, the, the shepherds are the ones that are, are making sure that they're fighting the wolves like in, in protecting the, the, the sheep, protecting the, the church, standing guard. We should be, elders, I think, honestly, should be the biggest servants in the church. The absolute biggest ones. Denying themselves so that for the needs of others. Um, and this is one of my favorite verses. And what, what I want my life to be marked by, what I want... What I think, really honestly, our, our elders' lives are marked by, but this is Matthew 20, 28, and this is what Jesus said of himself. He says, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I'm like, that's a, that's a pretty, I think, accurate, actually, job description of an elder, is that we're here to serve the church. Second, this is, this is a responsibility that, that, that God uh, has given to qualified men, but it has nothing to do with ability. It's not just because like, oh, men are better at something or, or the only people that could communicate or that women are, are less capable or anything like that. We have literally, like we have so many godly, amazing women in this church. So many that are just, just awesome at making disciples, knowing truth, pointing people to Jesus, loving others. And, and, and our focus here is not what to, on what women can't do, but how do we just help empower women to everything that God has called them to do. Um, last, um, this doesn't mean that we don't have any women leaders or that we also, women don't have a voice. Um, I know that myself, Alex, the rest of um, the people that are going to be elders, we talk to our wives and ask our wives all the time, uh, uh, for good, godly advice. We talk to the women on staff. We talk to women city group leaders. Um, and and we, we definitely need that voice. I mean, I know that for myself, um, my wife, Christy, is amazing. Like, she is incredible. And there's no way that I would be the man that I am today without my wife. Like, without her, she, like, she is awesome. She's super wise. She is strong. She does not let me be weak even when I'm sometimes trying to be. He is so incredible. And so know that in no way does this mean that women don't have a voice. We affirm women. We affirm you and want to help you thrive in everything that God has called you to do, has gifted you to do. Um, but yet there is this thing where Paul, like, you know, directed by the Holy Spirit, is like, hey, this is a responsibility, not a higher position, not a higher status, but a responsibility to serve and to sacrifice yourself for others um, in this role that he, he's given. And so, again, if you have questions, um, let us talk. But here's, here's what I don't want, but, but I felt like I did need to address that. But here's what I don't want. I don't want you to be just thinking about like, hey, the, the men-women thing. You know, and just to be like going off about that. What I want us to do is look at, hey, what is the importance of character? That, that's really what, what Paul here is focusing on is the importance of character. And so let's go back to that and just kind of break through it. So one, I want you to notice that as he goes through this, an elder must be this, not be that, all of these things. Paul is not giving, um, he, he doesn't talk a lot about structure. He doesn't talk a lot about systems. 
This isn't um, talking about hierarchy or anything like that. His main concern here is character. For, for if a church's mission is through the power of the Holy Spirit to make disciples then that, that look like Jesus, then the leaders need to look like Jesus. And so here he doesn't give a job description, but he gives a character description. And so, again, when we usually think of, hey, what is absolutely necessary for leaders and for church leaders to, to have and to do, again, if you filled this in, if you were writing this, what would you say? I think most of us would say, hey, and, and appoint elders as I directed to you, so, and, and people that are super smart and have been to seminary. Hey, make sure that you appoint people that are really good preachers and communicators. Or, or, or make sure that they were really good in the past. Right? Isn't, isn't that how the rest of the world works? Hey, we just, just show us your resume. Show us how successful you've been in the past. And also, we just we, because we want to know, are you competent? And the world focuses usually on two things. What, and even churches focus on two things when they look at their leaders. Competence or charisma. Hey, if you can just be great in front of people, you can draw a crowd, you can be a preacher. Or if you're just really smart. But Paul does not go to either one of those places. He's saying, hey, these are the type of people, this is a character description. And as we, as we work through these, I want you to ask yourself a, a question. Is this true of you? Do, do people actually associate this character with you? Does your confession in Christ match your character? Does your confession in Christ match your conduct? And so verse 6, he says, an elder must be blameless, um, above reproach. That, not that elders are perfect, or not that we are perfect, or anything like that, but just, hey, is there any legitimate accusation that somebody could bring against an elder? Paul repeats this um, word in verse 7. And so he's saying, hey, elders need to be blameless in their relationships, blameless at home, blameless in conduct, blameless in character, and how they act towards others. Then it says, um, um, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And this is not saying that an elder must be married. Um, Most guys that on the island of Crete would have been married. So this is not a commandment. This is kind of more of an assumption that, that Paul has, but it's not a requirement because, again, Paul is saying, hey, this is a character issue. This would be better read as an elder must be a one-woman man. Um, a one-woman man that he is devoted and faithful to his wife. If he's single, he's not a player. right? He's not flirting with everybody. He, he's walking in, in respect to women and not just kind of you know, frolicking about or anything like that. He's not going after the ladies. And so, hey, a one-woman man. And when it comes to, to married men, this is not just saying like, hey, we just want to make sure that he's just not cheating on his wife or, you know, that he's faithful to her. Like, yeah, there is that part of it. But the point here again is, is like, hey, and being a one-woman man is like, and is he devoted to his wife? Is he actually just loving her? Do they have a good, healthy marriage? Does he serve her, care for her? Does he help her flourish and thrive? Does he, does he as a husband, place her needs above his own? Because here's the thing. If, if an elder is continually, or, or even, even if us, if, like, if, an, if they're not continually putting the needs of their wife ahead of themselves, then they ain't going to do it with the church either. Is that marking his life? 
Because if, if he's not doing that, it'll quickly become about himself, about his career, his own empire, what he wants, his ego. And so, <clears throat> is an elder one woman man. Now, as a side note, I'm, I'm just, men, all, all of you, love your wives. Love your wives. Be devoted to your wife. Sacrifice your, all of, like, your preferences, all of your, you know, and, and just having it be about you and, and just love your wives well. I mean, honestly, this is a dream of mine. If somebody came up to me and be, one day and just said, hey, what's going on with your church? Like, what do you mean? Dude, I don't know, but man, I've, I've just noticed something. Man, the, the, the men in your church, I, they love their wives like I've never seen. Like the way that they just care for their wives, the way that they just pursue their wives and that are devoted to their wives. Man, like you, like there's so many servants in your church and how they just love their wives. I mean, I'd be like, that, that is amazing. That'd be like one of the best things to ever happen. And so, um, are you loving your wife like that and just seeing, um, helping them thrive in, in their life? Um, and if you're single, man, are, are you asking God to cultivate this in your life now? Because if you're not pursuing selflessness now, you won't get married and suddenly become selfless. You'll actually probably find out like, oh man, I'm pretty selfish. Um, man, uh, I was less selfish a week ago. Um, <clears throat> But so, uh, a one woman man, and it says, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Uh, maybe your version, I know in the ESV it says, and their children must be believers. Now this, um, that it would probably be read better of like, hey, that your children are faithful. Doesn't mean that every single kid in an elder's home has to be a believer. Uh, no matter how well we point people to Jesus, no matter how well I point my kids to Jesus, I can't make them believe. I can't just be like, you will have faith, pow. Um, that's something that the Holy Spirit does. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He, he makes dead hearts come alive. But this idea here is faithful children. And Paul explains what he means. That, you know, that with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Hey, if your kids are just going crazy all over the place and they're just diving into wild living, man, yeah, hey, and that, that's not going to really work. And in 1 Timothy 3.5, Paul also says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own household... How will he take care of God's church? And first, this demonstrates, hey, is, are these leaders that you're looking to, do they, ex, do they exemplify good, godly guidance in their own home? Are they able, how does their authority even work in the home as they love and, and disciple their kids? Um, also, if their kids are going crazy, then, then they should probably step out of that role to help with their kids and, and to help them uh, you know, to, to give attention to their kids and not be distracted by that. And this is talking about with kids that are still in the home um, here, kind of younger kids. And again, if you're single and you're like, well, I don't have to worry about this. I don't have any kids. Um, one, are you asking God to help shape you that, that, hey, maybe one day you do have kids. Hey, God, help me to be an awesome parent. Are you right now talking to people that do have kids and just learning from them or even actually coming alongside of them? To, to, you know, because it's not just apparent, but it, it's us, a community, a village. Verse 7, um, as an overseer of God's household. Um, and then um, Paul lists five negative things. Hey, these are five things that, that can't be true of an elder. Um, and he just continues this, this character description. He says um, that he must not be, or he is blameless. And then he's not arrogant. He's not out for himself. He's not self-pleasing. He's not about getting his own way or, or being overbearing. Um, 
And people can change once they get power. And they can actually just become more so about getting their own way. And so watch to see, hey, are, are, are you or are leaders, are they humble? Do they take advice? Do they seek to grow and listen to other people? So not arrogant. Then it says not hot-tempered. They're not easily angered. Do they, you have a short fuse. Do the leaders have a short fuse? Think of the opposite in this, the fruit of the Spirit, patience, gentleness, kindness. Is that what exemplifies you or exemplifies church leaders? Uh, it says, not an excessive drinker. doesn't mean that a, that a pastor or an elder can't ever have a drink, but it's just like, hey, do you always have to have a drink in your hand? Hey, are you, are you addicted? Are you, um, is, does this have control over you in some way? Are you, are you getting drunk? Those things like that. And so, um, so hey, they can't, uh, Paul again is saying like, hey, we don't want that type of character. Hey, this is what we expect of them. And then it says, not a bully. Basically, I'd say like this, you can't lack humility and then be, be in leadership of a church. You, this isn't about always you trying to manipulate people or get your own way or push your weight around. Because ultimately, again, you're not here for yourself. So you can't be a bully. Not greedy for money. Not greedy for gain. person is not just serving in the church to just get money or, or even in their kind of dealings out there that, that they're um, you know, being sneaky in their, in their dealings or kind of shady and stuff like that. This is what 1 Peter 5 says. It says, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. And so in this, the elders should want to do this. It should be something like, man, hey, I feel like God is calling me to love and to serve the church in this way. And again, ask yourself, hey, is this true? Is, are any of those negative qualities, are those true of me? How does God want to speak into those? And then he, he lists six positive qualities. So he says hospitable. Do they open up their homes? Hospitable, being hospitable, uh, in the ancient world was a very high value. Hey, are you welcoming in strangers? Are you welcoming in people into your home? Are you opening up your home? Here's kind of the thing is, man, do you, do you regularly have people over to your house? Because I, I, I'd say, like, I especially believe this even more today, there's probably going to be more people that come to Christ around a dinner table than on sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning. Are you opening up your home? You have people over. You're welcoming in strangers. Sit. Next one is this, that they are lovers of good. They're passionate about what is good, what is right. They want to do good for others. In the, um, verse 8, they're sensible. This would be kind of like self-control. They're under emotional control. They're not easily swayed just by, um, and not that feelings are always bad or anything like that, but they're not just given into like the latest little fads or the latest teaching or, the, or just their emotions at, 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 on a whim. Or just going with the crowd. They, they, they're seeing things from God's perspective. Again, it says, or says righteous or upright, or upright. They want what is right, the justice, fair. It says holy. They're seeking to live according to God's way. They want, there's someone that reflects Jesus. Then uh, last of verse 8 says self-controlled. They're disciplined. Are they actually disciplined in a way they're ordering their life to actually see Jesus cultivate more of this character in them? And so in all of this character, 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 not competence. It's not 
charisma or anything like that, but it's character over competence, character over charisma, character over skills. All of these things. And then in verse 9, it says this, they're holding to the faithful message as taught. They love God's Word. They're holding on to God. What are you teaching? They're holding on to the Gospel message. They're passionate about God's Word and they're abiding in Him. And then the end of verse 9 so it says they're holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. And so here's the last point. This is the fruit of, of church leadership, the fruit of elders. This is what God is wanting to see happen. Hey, you have this need for, for leadership. Here's what I want that leadership to look like. And then so that they can help the church thrive. So that they can encourage with good, sound teaching and so that they can refute things that are false. And if they actually don't know what God's Word says, then they're not going to be able to encourage people in God's Word. They're holding firm to this. And so, um, and we want there to be this, this for us more and more so that, man, when God's Word is just so ingrained into who we are that our minds are being shaped by God's Word, that we're holding on to truth, holding on to what God says. And so we want to always be encouraging you with the Word of God and to point out false teaching and point out false doctrine. And sometimes, let's admit, that part's not very fun, where it's like, oh, and to rebuke. So at any times that we, you know, it's not like we want to play um, this major kind of like, oh, you said that wrong, you said that wrong, pop, 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 and just get you. But hey, if it's like, hey, something's kind of off, hey, we want to help direct you to, man, what does God's Word say? Hey, that's a great thought. I love it that you're digging into that. Hey, where'd you get that? Hey, why do you think that? Is that? How does that match up with God's Word to just point you again to what God is saying this? And so this is why it's so important to have good godly leadership. And notice, the, the reason that, that Paul is doing this is because God cares about his church. God cares, hey, what, what is, where is the church going to go? He wants the church to flourish. He wants it um, to, to thrive because, again, here, look at this. This is a really important part of this. Verse 7, it says this. As an overseer of God's household. Whose church is it? It's God's. The elders are stewards. This isn't something that just like belongs to them or that they own, but they're overseeing God's household. It's something that, that belongs ultimately to God. You and I, we don't belong. It's not like you guys like belong to me. And that doesn't give me license to do whatever I want, but it's as a steward, it's something that you're entrusted with. Knowing who owns something makes a very big difference. I mean, think about this. Have you, have you ever gotten, uh, you know, you go golfing and you rent a golf cart? Or maybe you go on a trip and you get a car rental. How do you treat those things? Right? I mean, if I'm in a golf cart, I'm ramping that thing. Like, hey, can we? I know it's not going fast, but can we catch some air? If you're in a car rental, you don't really care if you're driving a little fast or anything like that. You don't care if you leave trash in it. And here, here's the kind of the question. Why? Because it doesn't belong to you. So you don't really care about the car, but you also don't really care about the car rental company. And so you feel fine to be like, well, I could treat it however I, I kind of want. And it's not that big of a deal. But hey, here's the thing. What about when it comes to something that belongs to God? Not just for elders, but for you. How do we treat God's household? This is something that, that 
is his and it belongs to his. And, and this is why this, this, even just this little point here is as an overseer of God's household is so important because for elders, they need to recognize this is not here to build their kingdom. It's not, we're not here to build our little world or anything like that. It's God's household. It belongs to God. But this is also why this is important to you. How, how do you play a part in, in helping nurture God's household, God's people, what God is wanting to do here? This is not just about us, but it, or about me or Alex or just the elders. This is about all of us, a church family, using our gifts, using the skills and different things so that we can love one another so that the body of Christ might be built up. And so with that in mind, here's just a couple challenges. A couple challenges. First, examine your leaders. Do you see these character qualities in myself or Alex or the other elders? William Shakespeare, he once said that some men are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. And I would say in this day and age, right now in our world, is that you could do this. You can add something to that. And some are really good at making themselves look great. We could all do that. That can happen in church with leadership. Hey, it might look great to people out there in the crowd, but the thing is, is you get behind the curtains, man, do you actually see this being played out? Do you see a spirit of humility? Do you see patience and kindness? Hey, do they actually have that kind of relationship with their kids or with their wife? And so I just tell you this. Hey, if you are wanting to be like, hey, I'm going to do that. I want to examine leadership. If you want to know how my marriage is, just go ask my wife. And I'm being honest with that. Because if, 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 if this is not true of me, then I shouldn't be in this position. I, should, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be trying to do this. Is, or is this true? Hey, how do you treat your kids? Go ask my kid. Now, sometimes they do focus on some of the negative things, so be careful. <laughs> hey, well, how does, it, or if you're like, hey, what do the elders think their job is? Go ask them. Go talk to them. Hey, how, how, do, how do they really treat the staff? Go ask the staff. But, but examine your leaders. Pray for your leaders. Second thing is this. Examine yourself. Remember, we started with a question. What is so tied to you? What, is, what do people so closely associate with your life? If people were to follow you, where would they end up? Would they end up being looking more like Jesus? Because they, that's what your life looks like. Like Subway and bread. It's just like, man, it's just so close together. We want to see more elders raised up. We want to see more good godly leaders and disciples raised up. And so, because the, this, this, these characteristics are so important, it shouldn't, I mean, really, if we read this list, shouldn't it be like, hey, shouldn't that just be a Christian? Shouldn't that just be anybody that's actually following Jesus? So are they true in your life? And, and, and I'd say, like, in this, when you read this list, is there anything that you, you kind of feel this impulse to justify it not being true in your life? Well, but, but yeah, if I, don't, if I don't act like a bully at work, then people won't do the job. Yeah, but, man, my job is really hard and I need a drink every day. Right? Is this true of your life? Or do you find yourself, man, I have low passion for God, low passion for His Word, and it's just okay. 
And this is, again, this is not so that we could be better versions of ourselves, but so that we could be like Jesus. And so we can help others around us flourish. And because if we all have an impact on somebody, all have an impact on somebody, and the impact, we want it to be like, hey, that we are pointing people to Jesus. People, our friends, our spouse, our coworkers, whoever that might be. But to know that these, these character qualities are not going to be formed in you by just trying harder. But the, the, how this is going to be just cultivated in your life is by looking to Jesus. Because for any of us to become more like Jesus, we need Jesus. His word washing over us, his spirit empowering us. Jesus says this in John 15, 4, Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, Unless it remains on the vine, neither can you, neither can you produce fruit, neither can you become more like Jesus unless you remain in me. So remain in Christ, look to Christ, abide in Christ. As we want to see this um, cultivated in, in all of our lives. And so elders, they, they are they're overseers, they are shepherds, and I know that we will always try to do our best and look to Christ in this, but I just want to let you know, we're not perfect. We're going to goof some things up. Not that those are always light things, but we're, we're going to disappoint you at different times. We have our shortcomings. We're not perfect shepherds. But here's the thing. Jesus is. Jesus is that perfect and good shepherd. He is completely faithful. He knows and cares for you. Better than anyone. He, he knows and cares for you with everything that is going on in your life. The hurt, the anxiety, the worry, the, the struggles, the relationship or lack thereof. He recognizes your pain and your hurt and He points you to truth in Himself. And since He is that perfect shepherd, He loves and cares for you. Not because you fall in line, not because you're awesome, but because He is good and He loves you. And that's why as that perfect shepherd, he laid down his life for you. Sacrificially gave his life for you so that you can have life, so that you might be blessed, so that you could be forgiven of your sin in him. And so, you know, if you don't know Christ, any leader that you look to, myself, out there, whatever it might be, they'll always fall short. Turn to Christ. Turn to him. He is the perfect shepherd. May we always look to the one who saves us and shapes us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you, God, that you are our perfect shepherd. Thank you that you do come for us. You care for us deeper than we could ever know. And so, Lord, uh, today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to look to you, help, uh, help this uh, to be always true of, really, really of all of us, Lord. And may you grow this, this character, this fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of Jesus in, in our lives. We just praise you, Lord, that we can always just look to you, and Lord, that you're at work. We ask this in your name. Amen.